Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Courtney takes the championship for Dick Johnson Racing. It's the local deli beating Woolworths. Yeah. <laughs> Lethal wins the race. This is special, really special to win the last race of the year. And Dunlop prepare for a busy 2011. Some big changes next year, certainly an increase across the board. It's all coming up today as the lights go out on the grand final edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. James Courtney is the new V8 supercar champion, finishing the last race of the season in 14th position, 65 points ahead of Jamie Winkup. Courtney said that trying to stay out of trouble made the 26th and final race of the year the hardest of his career. I was just cruising and, and uh, trying to stay out of everyone's trouble and it just kept happening around me. Webby was sideways in front of me. Um, yeah, it was, it was chaotic. So it, I was saying to Lee that it's actually felt harder to just roll around and stay out of trouble than actually racing. Um, cause when you're racing, you're pushing 100%, you're focused the whole time. But when you're not pushing as hard, you start to think about what's going on and wonder where Jamie is and talking with the guys on the radio. And it's, um, you know, your concentration goes away. And with, uh, the championship on the line too, it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty crazy day. On this week's White Flag, you'll hear from James, Dick, Adrian and Stephen Johnson about what it means to each of them to have the title. Lee Holsworth won the final race of the year after setting pole position in both Sydney races. It was a fight to the line with Shane Van Gisbergen that saw him stay out of the way when the SBR faltered on the final lap. Holsworth was thrilled that he finally was able to grab his second race win of his career. Obviously it was a um, perfect day for us, the, the pole position and the, and the race win. Um, couldn't ask for any better. We dominated the whole day and, um, and got through at the end on Van Gizzi running, running out of fuel. So he had a, uh, a good strategy, but it didn't pay off. Um, but, uh, yeah, really good to go into next year with, with this confidence and, uh, and hopefully build on the speed that we've been building on since Phillip Island. Stephen Richards finished his tenure with FPR with a podium and praised the work of his team and his sponsors, the Dunlop Supermax dealer team. It's been a fairly torrid year um, for me and it's, it's nice to have won. There's been times where we've been capable of being on the podium at, at a few races this year and we just haven't got there. But, um, you know, I, I can't say enough about Ford Performance Racing. You know, they're a great group of guys. Um, last four years has been absolutely fantastic. I've got no complaints. Um, and it's just nice to get one over the line today, for, for the, particularly for the Dunlop Super Dealers. They, they came onto the car very late in the piece at the start of the year. And it's a very... Um, the, the, the network of dealers there are, are a very tight-knit group. They show a lot of passion for their brand. And um, to, to come away and get a result in my last race for FPR is really good. Shane Van Gisbergen was solemn in finishing third, a hundredth of a second ahead of Stephen Johnson with no fuel left in the tank 
as he rolled across the line. Hard to be disappointed because if we didn't roll the dice like that, we would have been fighting back eighth, tenth. So um, proud of my boys for turning the car around last night, what it looked like, and to be so close. But so far, it's disappointing. But oh, well, we'll be right next year. Over 166,000 people attended the second Sydney 500, cementing its place as a cornerstone of the V8 Supercar Championship. This was further highlighted when the organisation was awarded the Event of the Year Award at the V8's Gala Banquet. James Courtney continued to receive accolades when he was awarded the Barry Sheen Medal on Monday night. Team Vodafone took out the team's championship, while not surprisingly Holden won the manufacturer's title. Tim Blanchard was the Mike Cable Young Gun of the Year, while Steve Owen, the Fujitsu champ, and his team, Greg Murphy Motorsports, the Privateers of the Year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic to get it all um, all sealed up and, and win the round as well and qualify polls. It's really been a perfect weekend. The Sandown Volunteer Group won the Volunteer of the Year award following their amazing efforts at this year's Norton 360 event, while photographer Mark Horsburgh took out the media gong. Frosty Winterbottom was unable to attend the gala dinner as he was competing in this year's Rexona's Australia's Greatest Athlete Challenge. 2011's provisional entry list has confirmed that James Courtney will be moving to HRT, whilst Will Davison will be at FPR as expected. David Reynolds is expected to sign his contract with Kelly Racing soon. Stephen Owen has been recorded for his performance with Greg Murphy Motorsport and Triple Eight, with the Paul Morris drive he was tipped to have over two years ago. As James Moffat now is firming his favourite to replace the newly crowned champion at Dick Johnson Racing's Jim Beam Racing, while Stephen Richards is also considered to be in the frame for that job as well. That just leaves the Jones brothers to confirm who will be subbing for Jason Richards in 2011 until he is fit to return. One major change for the V8 supercars in 2011 is that the Walkinshaw wreck that was on sale, not taken up by anyone else in the paddock or any other buyers, has now been sold to V8 Supercars Australia. That will mean that there's only 28 cars on the grid in 2011. Kevin Fitzsimmons has told the V8 Insiders that Dunlop is excited about the changes in tyre regulations in 2011, with more soft tyre races and an increase in the tyre bank all part of the equation. You know, it, it's, it's all good from our point of view on that. We just um, have ordered a, a big block of production and then wherever the, the events slot in, that whatever tyres they need, uh, we'll be ready to go. That uh, appears that there's going to be um, some big changes next year, certainly an increase across the board for both soft and hard tyre. So it'll just help the guys' tyre banks and just help, you know, as opposed to running around on used tyres and everything they've had sitting around for a while sort of deal, just... Um, uh, a bigger allocation of tyres over the over the, the course of the weekend sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it could uh, close the field up a bit. Roland Dane reflected on his year with the V8 Insiders with plenty of 2010 silverware in the Triple Eight cabinet once again. Overall, it's been a brilliant year. Um, hasn't been a brilliant weekend. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been a brilliant year. So, um, can't win them all. The one-two at Bathurst, is that going to hold a special place no matter what you do now? Oh, of course it is. Um, winning Bathurst is special, but one-two is something that only two other teams have ever done. Um, and nobody for, yeah, for 25, 26 years, whatever. So that's very special. Um, but so is the one-two at Abu Dhabi in first race of the year. Uh, I would suggest that 
yeah, nobody thought that we could do that. Um, so that's very special testament to the team. Jamie Winkup was also circumspect when summarising his year. I feel like this is the best year I've, I've driven. Um, definitely better than the last two. So um, in some way I'm confident that uh, that I've, uh, I've given my value to, to Team Vodafone. We, um, but we're pretty gutted with the end result, you know. It's... Uh, not, not a good feeling, and I, I know when we peel that number one off and stick the 88 back on, it's going to it's going to hurt a little bit. The two plus four format will continue next year, with Barbagello being added to the V8 supercar and Australian superbike calendars. The superbikes will share the billing at Simmons Plains, but not at Phillip Island next year. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Brian Gunther and Chris Jewell will join me. Then later, we hear from James Courtney, Dick Johnson, Adrian Burgess and Stephen Johnson on 2010 success. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me this week from V8X Magazine, the publisher who's got a new edition coming out just in time for Christmas, it's Neville Wilkinson. Good evening, Nev. Good evening, Craig. It's good to be here. And Chris Jewell, the voice of the V8 Supercars, who was sharing the uh, box last weekend with that Pom David Addison, and I know that he was having a brilliant time as well, Chris. And he certainly was, and what's left of my voice you're about to get tonight, and then I'll be eating ice cream for the rest of the week. It was such an interesting event. You, you not only had the championship going down to the wire, but you had that second race, and anticipation what's that second race at sydney going to be like and chris uh, not only did the race live up to everything you could want the crowd was there the atmosphere was there and it's really marked homebush as a premier event on the calendar yeah you're right i mean the first year we obviously went there with great anticipation and the track was a bit tight and it broke up and it provided an incredible amount of entertainment but this year the track wasn't breaking up it was slightly less tight but the battle for the championship was obviously the ascendancy and who could have possibly have written a script I mean I reckon a book will come out on Saturday's last 25 laps alone and uh, yeah it really was just a fantastic in of racing and the fans around 10% down but I think everybody expected that had the weather have not been so intermittent it might have even been similar crowd here before but yeah I'm still getting over it I know that I've got some passive friends or friends that are passive watchers of motorsport inclusive via the car and they are converts now they are diehards and um they are fences, so if that's getting to that sort of a reach and it's getting to that sort of a market, then clearly it had reason to be noticed. Mm. Now, Neville, 166,000 people there, that is fantastic by any sports book for an event. Well, definitely. Uh, Chris was saying it's 10% down, but I have to be honest, that's not a lot down because it was still a pretty decent crowd. And um, I, I, I know I was walking through the merchandise several times 
And um, I was thinking, how good is this crowd? of people everywhere. And remember, it's a big space to fill. You can put a lot of people in there and it doesn't look crowded. So when, you, when you're in an area where you think there's a lot of people here, it's all happening, I, I tell you, you know, there was a great crowd. And one of the interesting things was the additional corporates that they were able to put in. And uh, there was a number of places there where we saw complete structures set up so that they could get more corporates in, Chris. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, some of the viewing spots were much better than people expected, not even including the corporates, but you're right. Um, I do quite a lot of corporate work during the course of the weekend as far as driver interviews, etc. And there was not just additional corporates as far as attendance is concerned. There's a lot of names that I would never have expected be there, and they certainly weren't there last year, so fair to say, we have 180,000 people last year, 166,000 this year, it certainly wasn't the same 166,000 were part of last year's crowd, and the same thing goes for the corporates, I'd be shocked if there weren't you know, 35 to 40% uh, of the visitors, be it corporate or spectator, with new blood. Mm. Nev, we then looked at what was happening on the track and interesting, as Chris pointed out before, they, they've been refining what they do on a road circuit with uh, how they repair circuits and how they treat the heavy load areas and it looks like they've got quite a good mixture, if you like, of epoxy and resins and that is making the track more drivable in dry conditions, of course. Well, I heard... Oh, well, that is- First of all, that's correct. Um, I heard that the resin they put in good grip and stuff like that when it's dry, but it does get a bit hairy when it does get wet. Um, it has it kind of has the, the opposite effect. Um, this is what I heard. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but, uh, re- uh, you know, looking back on Saturday with the smashy smash, um, yeah, I'm thinking it, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of grip there. Mm. Chris, yeah, like that part of the track there where they went off, it didn't actually have track on 50 on it. It was only the, the slower power down areas where they applied it to the apex. So I think regardless of the surface, they were always going to be going into that wall on Saturday. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Chris, you were sitting up in the box. You were doing the numbers and, and running the numbers on what was going on in the championship battle on the racetrack. What was your immediate thought when you see Frosty jump into the lead and then jump into that wall. Yeah, look, uh, who would have thought we could have had the top three guys in the championship all well in the top ten in qualifying? There's always some of the misses out, but nobody did, even though James was a bit further back. We are going into the two-third mark of the race, and we've got the top three drivers in the championship in the top three spots, and the milliseconds before the crash are actually in a reverse of the championship spots. You had Winterbottom, who was third in first. You had up second with Sonny Bloke holding play, and Courtney was... First in the championship and coming third, and uh, it all changed going into that position at two, three, four. And yeah, I mean, the first time I saw it, I thought, gee, and in fact, even before then, when FDR came in, I specifically asked Cameron Vandendung and his kids, did they put him out on slicks or wets? Because they had nothing to lose if they didn't cover the other two, because they needed a long shot gamble. And I was a little bit surprised they didn't go for that like Webb and Bright did, but at the end of the day, seems to be a, a, an expert in hindsight, but came back to who was going to be the phoenix that rose from the ashes and as it turned out I think the cheer on Saturday for Courtney coming back onto the track late in the race was just about as big if not as big as the cheer when he won the championship mm. it was it was fascinating but uh, we should talk about who won that race and that's Jonathan Webb Neville who I, I think 
Did uh, Chris say, did you say it was like 750 to 1, the odds? Or was that Matthew White on Monday night? It's, it's a bit of a blur, some of those things. But 750 to 1, Jonathan Webb actually taking the victory on Saturday or in any race this year. Well, to be honest, uh, the odds, pretty, talking about the odds, I mean, it's a pretty far reach to think that Jonathan Webb was going to win, bar everything being normal. Everything wasn't normal, and Jonathan Webb just... It was a case when, when, there were, when there was a big piling up everywhere and bent cars and bits of stuff littering all the road, all you had to do was get through that area of the track without bending your car, come out the other end, and if you're going up the front, you're in the chance for a podium. And so that's what Jonathan did. Mm. And um, so, yeah... You got to hand it to him. They, I think he had the wets on as well. I'm not too sure, but it just, you know, he was there. He was in the box seat. Everybody else just went off in front of him. He weaved his way through. I know I saw Craig Lance trying to weave his way through, but he got boxed in, boxed in with nowhere to go and slammed it in the back of Courtney. But um, hey, you know, Jonathan Webb emerges at the end in front. Chris, it, it was just uh, – I, I, you were up in your box, so you didn't hear it, but in the media centre, the media cheering for Jonathan. He is such a, a well-liked young man in that V8 supercar paddock and you don't often hear the media centre cheer. No, look, he was much maligned as a youngster. Like, he crashed two or three Porsches that his dad used to drive himself at high-performance days and came up through Carrera Cup and – He's the graduate of the Fujitsu Series from 2009, and he said now the standout on uh, into the Championship Series from the Fujitsu Series. So, you know, he, Dumbrell, Bargwana and Bright were the first four to come in under, on wet weather tyres. Bargwana all but got his lead uh, lap back. Had he got the lead lap back, he would have been battling through the field in ninth spot. But, you know, Bright was 28, then up for second. Webb came in first. That's no fluke that Jonathan Webb's engineer used to be Jason Bright's engineer, and Rolling the dice is something that Bright did a lot at Brightech because the only way they could find a way near the front when an opportunity presented itself. And clearly, Jono's team and his engineering group made the decision. It was the right decision. And then he had to bring it home under what was a lot of pressure. And he did a fantastic job. And he's now the 60th different Australian Touring Car Championship race winner. So, uh, yeah, look, it was just what a perfect way to end the season. And, of course, that was only Saturday. <laughs> That's right. And after the break, we're going to talk about Sunday here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. As joining me, Craig Ravel, is Chris Jewell and Neville Wilkinson from V8X Magazine. And uh, Neville, the new edition coming out onto the stands right in time for Christmas, the 22nd of December. That's correct. Um, yeah, we're working feverishly away as... As I, as I talk to you guys, um, and uh, go to the printers at the end of the week, and yes, it will be on sale on the 22nd. If you're trying to fish what's on the cover, sorry guys, <laughs> it's a top secret, you'll have to wait till it comes out. 
Chris, it was really a case for the championship battle with Jamie Wincup not being scored as a finisher on Saturday that Jamie had to stay out of trouble. And it seemed like that Jim Beam Falcon had a magnet on it. Yeah, you're right. It's very hard to manipulate a championship result when all you need to do is come home as a finisher and being qualified you know, down the order and being quite circumspect on the run to turn one. He, uh, he could have been part of so many incidents, even leading up to lap 10 or 12. There were altercations in front of him. There was the Constantina compression effect of people trying to pass people and making contact without pulling it off successfully. He, um, he dodged lots of bullets in there, and it must have been hard for him because the field is so competitive that if you're running at 95%, you're going to be running in front of maybe two or three cars at the back. And in running in that position, it could potentially have played right into Jamie Wincup's hands. But Wincup certainly didn't have the pace that he had as far as the advantage in the dry on Saturday, uh, on Sunday. So that probably helped James as well. But it must have been a long, long 250k you've been followed, I've got to say, because it felt like an eternity watching him. And it came in with battle scars and it came in with blown rear tyres. But at the end of the day, he did what he needed to do and he's the 2010 champion. Yeah, Dick Johnson picking up the championship in its 30th year and we should pause for a moment Neville because Dick Johnson racing in such a tumultuous two or three months changes ownership on what the Thursday night before Sydney and uh, Charlie Swarkold effectively watching from the grandstands as the car that he had been so heavily associated in drives across the finish line. Uh, getting back to what you said, uh, uh, what Chris is talking about where James is just dodging bullets left, right and centre. He had, did have a healthy dose of what I call champion's luck um, because there was a time when he came in contact with another car. I can't remember what it was. It was a bit of a bit of a passing move. And um, he did, uh, his front left hand did come in contact and he quite could have easy, that could have easily hurt his, um, hurt his run up there. But it actually didn't affect the car. Seems it cut tires down, and it was a, it's a it's innocuous, innocuous incident. Like equaling, um, you know, also had a third place finish almost right now. He had a career equaling. You know, they rolled the dice, didn't they? He came in on lap 44. Uh, I went back over the lap charts to make sure I had it right because people were telling me it was 49, but it was lap 44. They needed one more lap of safety cars. Both the winter bottom blown engine had created a safety car. And made it home, and I just spoke with Ross Stone only five minutes before you rang about other things. Uh, today and uh, he was saying that they knew all along it was going to run out where it was going to run out they were actually surprised went as far as it went because uh, they expected it to pop on the way down to turn 8 so in some ways he was lucky the finish line was as close to the exit of the final corner he was lucky that it's downhill to the final corner all the way as well or he might not even made it at all so um, just a shame that he didn't get there but they were going to come 8 or 10 so at the end of the day no, that's right. And uh, well, we have seen now that Stone Brothers Racing once again know how to craft a, you know, know how to craft a position in the uh, championship, and they just another team that likes to roll the dice. Well, I think they think they've had to roll the dice this year a fair amount because they definitely haven't been on the pace. I mean, the only shining light from the team is Shane Van Gisbergen, but he's still fairly erratic with his results. He'll get better, and, and he is definitely a star of the future. Don't get me wrong, he's, he's got so much talent. It's not funny. Um, and it's, you know, part of his driving skill that probably got it there, but he just didn't, just ran out. He, just, he needed that one and a half litres more, and he would have won the event. 
Um, I, I honestly think that their wins will be coming next year for this young lad. Yeah, I think we all agree. Uh, we all agree with that one. And when we look at this championship as a whole, guys, have you been happy with what we've seen in 2010, Chris? Yeah, I have. I, um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the increase in the number of tie rounds has made a great mid-season change, but that was obviously the catalyst backbone behind where Courtney found that form that he you know, ultimately led the championship after winter in May, and he carried that right to the end of the year. So um, I think it's great. I, I love the long-distance format. I've been moving into next year, more sprint tie around, but leaving you know the Fiftal and Homebush events and the, and the Bathurst and Philophile events as you know, potentially hard-tire events in a good mix. So the non-super-pairing you know super pairing of drivers at Philophile and Bathurst allowed us New face to shine, it allows Scape to become a crowned six-time Bathurst winner, it allows Steve Owen to score his first championship win on the Gold Coast, the whole international flavour thing captured a lot of media attention. I mean, I'd have to say, whether we've reached Utopia or not, he's still up for grabs, but it was a definitely an improvement uh, over last year, and that's not to say last year was from a low base. I think we're heading in the right direction. Nev? Uh, me, I, to me, the season was, it was a fair income run to the flag or for the championship it was a tough battle no one had it their own way there was we thought there was going to be a bit of dominance there with uh team vodafone and jamie Winkup at the start of the season um then obviously there's a bit of hiccup and the luck didn't go all their ways i mean team vodafone and roland dane um admit that it was the failures that took the championship away from them they had too many and um, they, over the off-season, they're, they're reassessing a lot of things to try and eliminate those failures, but it was definitely the failures that, 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 that took it away from, uh, from Team Vodafone. But then that's, putting aside, I mean, Jamie had a few of his own failures and things like the uh, drive-through penalty at uh, the Gold Coast that worked against him, and he, yeah, they overcame that adversity. So it's all about how hard these guys had to race and how tough it was. I reckon it was one of the toughest seasons of competition I've ever seen in V8 Supercars, if not the toughest. Mm. And the critical thing about Triple Eight winning the team's championship is last year they were driving Fords. Do you remember that, Chris? (laughs) Yeah, we do, don't we? And uh, I know that would have been an enormous amount for Jamie Winkup to have been able to win with manufacturers on board. They'll still get the right of veto as far as uh, the pit lane. Uh, positioning for their garage next year, which can be vitally important when it comes down to those millisecond strategic calls to fit, etc. I just hope we haven't awoken a sleeping giant by virtue of the fact that they have had some uh, some errors in their season because clearly, look at the uh, start-win ratio, the pole per attempt ratio, uh, win cup and triple eight uh, can rightfully feel like they, uh, they could well have easily taken another championship and consider that win cup hasn't finished fourth, worse than fourth in the last four years and he's won two of them. Gee, if not for a little bit of luck, he might well have just won four on the trot. So 2011 might well be uber-dominance for Team Vodafone because I just can't see some of the other teams getting up off the carpet in the next eight weeks to genuinely throw out the challenge to them. And, of course, the team that won the championship won't be anything like in its construction the way it was before in the past. Nev, you want to talk about the change by Team Vodafone? The change? From, from Ford to Holden. Well, the funny thing is... <laughs> Uh, you know, they were 
they won they won championships in the Ford, and then we thought, oh yeah, here we go, they're going to win a championship for Holden. And guess what? Ford come up and win the championship again. So, you know, it's it's like um, like as per normal for Ford, <laughs> they they snagged the championship win again. And I and and let's face it, most of us felt that that was against all the odds. Yeah, and certainly Holden had a huge win in the Manufacturers Championship, but they missed out on one crown, and but that was the drivers. I know. The manufacturers thing it might be interesting for teams, but for punters, the manufacturers things is kind of like, yeah, you know, you know, we we're after the drivers' championship. That's the, that's the, I guess, say the real the real sparkle for for the punters out there, um, and you know. As you can see, there was more credence on the on the drivers' championship than the manufacturers' championship. Now that may be unfair, but that's just the reality of it. Um, the good thing about the, the the only thing that teams really want to win the manufacturers' championship, and it might be prize money, and there's that kudos. But it is, as Chris touched on, getting a bit better pit lane position for for so so they can have either have the, the the end of the pit lane or the start of the pit lane, so they never get hooked up in any other person's mess. Mm. Well, just touching on that, for the first time in many years, it would appear that the genuine championship finishing positions in the Constructors Manufacturers Championship will reflect the pit lane order next year because there are no changes in ownership of any of the teams as far as acquisitions or people taking over pre-existing racing entitlement contracts. So when we look at pit lane next year, it should be a direct reflection of the way the, uh, the, the Manufacturers Championship finished this year. That's where we'll leave the roundtable for this week. Tomorrow on a special V8 Insiders Extra, you'll get to hear Chris Jewell and Neville Wilkinson with their gas and go. But now it's the white flag lap on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, we catch up with the champion of 2010, James Courtney, and find out if the Jim Beams are going to taste any sweeter on Championship Sunday. It's going to be a pretty good good time, so uh, you know, I just can't wait to get back there now and see the guys and uh, crack a few jimmies. It's going to be a big night. So. It's been amazing since Bathurst, the way that you've just really refocused this team. Yeah, look, it's, uh, you know, these guys wanted this as much as I did and it showed yesterday with everything that went on and, and uh, you know, they dug deeper than everyone else and got the job done and it just shows, you know, like I said, they wanted this as much as me and um, that's why we're here and the others aren't. Now that you've got one, how much do you want another one and really uh, underline what you've done this year? Um, yeah, if we could start racing again tomorrow and, and uh, go for it again, I would. It's, um, you know, I'm a racer and today killed me having to drive around just doing nothing. It's, uh, it's not what I'm here to do and it's not what I want to do. So uh, unfortunately I had to do it today and uh, I'll be glad if I don't have to do that again. Dick Johnson, can you put into words your feelings after taking the, uh, well now, the lead in the championship board? Well, uh, at the end of the day, I suppose uh, everything comes to those who wait. <coughs> I'm just really proud of the team of people. Um, 
from uh, the people in the office to the merchandise people to the, the guys who work on the cars to everyone. It's been a fantastic effort. And, and it's just one of those things that um, it's not any one thing that wins races, it's a combination of all of it. James spoke about the family team still mixing it with the... It's the local the deli ones. beating Woolworths. Yeah. <laughs> Is well, that what it feels like? Well, with, with what we've done, with what we've had... Thanks, mate. Um, I think it gives it you know, more credibility and certainly uh, um, a more sense of achievement. And uh, it's been a tough old year, but I think um, what a way to finish takes away a lot of hurt. Well, we look forward to seeing you back in 2011. I guess bigger and stronger. We'll be back, I can assure you of that. 30 years is uh, a long time and I think uh, we've got a few more left in us yet. Adrian Burgess talked about leaving Dick Johnson Racing with the number one clearly on the car. Everyone wants it, whether you're walking out or you're staying, carrying on, whatever you're doing. It's just mega, you know. For the whole team, all the guys, everyone has worked so hard. People don't understand what, how hard, how much pressure we've had on us, and everyone stepped up to the plate. The whole business, all 41 people, it's just MAGA. It's just, you can't explain it. You came into this team when it was in a real state, and to turn it around in, what, four years, five years, yeah, to the championship? Oh, I mean, it's always your plan. Oh, these plans don't come true, but it's always your aim. Oh, I mean, it's not. You can only do that when you've got good people around you, and I've been lucky enough to have a lot of good people in here, and they've all helped turn it around, you know. And that's they're not. That's the great thing here. They they have got so many good people. It's not one person; it's a team. It really is a team. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Stephen Johnson said that the last few months have been trying for not only Dick Johnson Racing's Jim Beam team, but also for the family. It's just amazing what a clear head. Um a bit of motivation and uh, a settled team can do to someone and, and, and happy parents who have finally uh, started smiling this weekend, which is which has made a massive difference to myself and a massive difference to, to everybody. What does it mean for James to take the championship in the team's 30th year? Well, I think it's um, obviously good for James, but, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not just James, it's everybody. Um, you know, DJR, seven driver titles now, and... Uh, um, you know, you could almost call us the giant killers. You know, we're not—we're uh, certainly not the most well-funded team out there, um, but we've got the best and the smartest bunch of blokes, and um, you know that's where the wins have come from. So we really—you uh, um, know—James deserves it. He drove really well. You know, but all hats off. I mean, if you want to look back, and uh, you, you know, you can't single out any one point. That's really a championship-defining time. Um, but if you were to do that, you just look at yesterday when the car came in in a smouldering wreck and the boys worked flat stick and they, you know, this car was worse than Jamie's car and they got this car out and they got points yesterday. I mean, that just goes to show the character of this team and the determination and the will to win was just um, above and beyond anybody else in up and down this pit lane. That's all we have time for this week on this grand final edition of the V8 Insiders as the checker flag waves, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders only on v8x.com.au